0: to the Better People Podcast. I'm Margaret Urich, and in today's episode, we're talking to Mary Ellen Harris, Chief Human Resources Officer at Chrysler Miller. Um, Mary Ellen is a friend of mine, so I'm so excited to be able to have this opportunity. Um, Mary Ellen is a member of MEA and has been part of our community for several years now. This is how I've had the opportunity to meet her and to get to know her. So um, like I said, a, a huge treat for me to have you as our guest today, Mary Ellen.
1: Well, thank you, Margaret. It's equally as delightful for me as well. It's a wonderful way to start my day. Thank you.
0: And to start our Friday. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so really, we're starting our weekend with this conversation, which is really nice. Yes. Um, so, Mary and I always like to, to really... In- because you know your bio your background way better than I do Um, so I would love for you to just share for our listeners those things that you think would be most most helpful for them to know most interesting for them to know so whatever it is I'm
1: gonna let you share it Great. Sure. Happy to do so. Yes, I've been very blessed. I've had a wonderful career started in HR in uh, 1990. Yikes. And um, have just been very fortunate along the way to have had wonderful champions and mentors who've really helped me along my path. And I think that that's Really important to note because I would not be where I am in terms of my career without the helping hands and the direction and coaching and leadership of other people lifting me up and giving me guidance along the way. And uh, the other thing I would share is that I'm just so, I've been very, very fortunate in that I've been able to obtain education and I'm very proud of earning a PhD in leadership. And so the study of leadership is very important to me. It's also fascinating (laughs) and very complex.
0: (laughs) You've really summed it up nicely. Uh, So (laughs) you mentioned education, and I did want to just ask you to highlight. I noticed uh, when I was looking through your bio uh, and your LinkedIn profile that you have been an instructor for a number of years, at
1: several different organizations. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Well, I think, but you know, part of it comes from just my passion for helping other people. As I said, you know, my career would be nothing if I I wasn't helped along the way. And so I see education as a, a pathway to help people um, grow as individuals and achieve their goals. And so it's it's a form of giving back, if you will. It's a form of servant leadership, which I'm very passionate about, which we're going to talk about today. And uh, so I've been very, very lucky that when I was at Eastern University working on my PhD, they reached out and asked me if I would be willing to be one of their adjuncts. And I said, yes. And so I've been doing that for, oh gosh, I think it's coming up on 10 years. And I also um, was an adjunct at um, Gwennad Mercy University as well. They had a wonderful um, degree completion program, an accelerated program for people who had started degrees and then for various life reasons got interrupted. And so they then created this entire program around helping people who had their educational experience interrupted um, to continue and finish that degree, and that was really wonderful as well. And because you get to know people and their journeys and the obstacles and hurdles that they've had to traverse, and it's so it's a privilege to to be able to be a part of that path for people. So I think it's
0: probably safe to assume that all of your experiences and the opportunities you've had with um, being an educator and meeting all of your students and getting to know your students and also as an HR professional since 1990, um, that's a a number of years. Um, So I'm assuming all of that is what has really created this passion that you have for servant leadership, um, which you alluded to earlier. And I know it is really what you wanted to talk about today. And specifically how servant leadership and emotional intelligence, which we haven't mentioned yet, but I know we're going to get into a little bit more here, really are, um, as you would say, a link to employee
1: retention. So let's jump into that topic. So where do you want to start? Well, I think the first is servant leadership, just almost a a very... Sort of definition of it, if you will. I think that when you hear the term, some people's minds go in different directions, and they're not quite certain what does that actually mean. Servant—that's a an unusual word, <laughs> um, and people and have different sure. emotional reactions to that word, right? So I want to just clarify that—that that, you know, and and the credit to Peter Northhouse, who is an amazing author and a leadership expert. Um, he really focuses on the defining servant leadership as really put it, it's like looking through the leadership lens of putting the needs of your constituents or your followers first. In fact, his argument is you even put those needs before profit. And, and his contention is that by doing so, you're going to encourage your people to perform at their best. You're gonna encourage things like diversity of thought, um, you know, having that culture based on trust, right? A company culture based on trust, that's a recipe for success. Um, Really being the unselfish leader, the humble leader, altruistic in terms of your mindset, and um, really building and encouraging others. And and so his contention and I have seen it play out is that when you do those things, you are building your people. They feel more than just quote that label of employee, they feel like they're part of the organization's success. And as a result, you get loyalty and you get retention. And you get people who feel excited about doing their work versus I have to go to work. So where do you think
0: most leaders struggle with this, with, with, um, not only the concept of servant leadership, but actually the act of it, what do you think is most challenging?
1: I think fear is a big part of it. Mm. Um, I think People who are in leadership positions, and I choose that wording very, very specifically and intentionally, because not everybody who's in a position of title that entitles them to be a leader doesn't mean they're a leader, right? So there's there's the act of leading, and then there's a person who has a title. Um, and sometimes those two things are not the same. Well, <laughs> no, right? In the ideal world, it would be, but you're right. Correct. So I think fear is the biggest deterrent. And I think, and, and let me expand on that to say that, for example, um, many people are put into leadership positions and um, because they want them and sometimes because they happen to be really good at doing the work. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, you're the greatest salesperson. Let's make you the sales manager. And I've literally seen that exact scenario blow up and fail numerous times, probably too numerous that I would like to admit. And, you know, so, you know, there was literally a case where many, many years ago, I worked for a very large company, which I will not name. We had our, you know, President's Club Top Salesman of the Year. Uh, it was called Salesman of the Year back then. That's how long ago it was. Um, and and we took that person and we, they were, you know, at the wonderful trip, uh, you know, at Cabo and all this good stuff. Giving this person awards made them the sales manager. A year later, we terminated them. That's oh, tragic. wow. That's tragic, right? Yeah. So, so that's an example of just a really bad leadership decision. That being said, I think people in leadership positions are fearful of, um, particularly letting down if it's a publicly traded company. You've got looming over you, the stockholders. They want a profit. They want a profit. They want a profit. So I think profit, focus on profit, the need to focus on profit, right? Mm -hmm. Businesses that are for profit need to be profitable. And that's not a bad thing. But I do think it influences people's behavior because of the importance of making a profit in those scenarios. I think that also people are afraid to admit that they don't have all the answers and i think they're afraid to admit that perhaps relying on their people is a good thing because i think it makes them feel like they have imposter syndrome right like that they're you know not good enough so i think that those are pretty impactful uh, well, and i think
0: yeah and I, i'm sorry but what occurred to me is you know tying that statement with what the statement you made earlier when you put something somebody in a position to be a leader and you don't give them the skills to do that. I think it is very easy easy for them to have the belief that they do need to have all of the answers mm-hmm. that yeah. they can't um go to their pe- go to their staff and ask for input because they should have the answer, or when they are asked a question by one of their employees, they need to come up with an answer whether they whether it's correct or not, because yes. they don't understand that that actually isn't what being a leader is all about.
1: Yes. Yeah, so. I mean, we, we, I mean, we spent a lot of time at, at my firm telling our people, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's better to say, I don't know. Let me get the answer and get back to you than it is to wing it or make it up as you go or shoot from the hip, right? Like, it's not okay to do that. And we say, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> That's also, whoa, wait, I can be wrong. Wow. Okay. And it's okay to not know, and it's okay to be wrong. And once you create that safe space where people know it's okay, then you build down those walls of resistance. You get people to start doing it. And and then people who are experienced leaders have to model those behaviors. You know, I mean, our, the head of our firm is called the managing director. And, and he, it's like a CEO He is the best at saying, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know. And, and because he says it, then everyone else goes, Oh, it's okay. They know it's okay. So what you're talking about now, I
0: think ties to the other uh, piece of employee retention, the other link, which is emotional intelligence. Yes. So you really need to have uh, emotional intelligence, right? All of the a number of the things that kind of are involved in emotional intelligence, um, but really that self-awareness and that confidence to be able to say, I don't know. Yes, so talk yes. to us a little bit about your thoughts around emotional intelligence.
1: Yeah. So, so again, here I have another person that I love and his name is Daniel Goleman. He is one of the leading experts on emotional intelligence, and he's written many wonderful pieces, articles, books, everything about him. So I encourage any listeners to Google his name and go read his good works because he's really wonderful at articulating it. But I do think that self-awareness is, and coupled with the empathy part of emotional intelligence, is is what can make the game changer for a person in a leadership position. And self-awareness... even. And just understanding ourselves to know when this happens this is how I react and so under like that deeper level of self-awareness and um and that comes with the self-regulation part of it right understanding that I need to keep my opinions to myself and perhaps on that topic <laughs> Or even um, just saying, uh, instead of, you know, telling the person on my team, telling, right? There's instead of telling, you know, suggesting or asking them their opinion or like defaulting to that versus I'm the, the old version, you know, the old fashioned definition of management, right? I'm directing, I'm telling. Well, how about ask, sit back? watch, explain what the outcome is that we want and say, let me know if you get stuck along the way. I'm here to support you, but I have faith in you and trust in you that you are going to get us to that outcome. But I'm here being supportive. I'm, I'm going to have those social skills to be able to you know, read the room, if you will, and understand when I can see that my person on my team is struggling when I need to offer assistance. That's where emotional intelligence comes in. And, um, and I think another big part of emotional intelligence is I call it the benefit of the doubt factor. It's give people the benefit of the doubt first instead of assumptions and jumping to conclusions. And that I see is, the, is very damaging to relationships when people do that. And I witness that all the time. And someone will come into my office and say, Mary Ellen, this person's really, really weak. Well, why do you think that? right? And it's often because of not facts. It's often because of perceptions and jumping to the conclusion. So I think that those are important elements of emotional intelligence from a very pragmatic perspective, right? (laughs)
0: And I think what you just described too, um, I think biases play a role in that as well. And there's, I mean, I've been doing some research into this now, really focusing on it in my coaching practice. And there's, I think over a hundred biases out there. I mean, that they've documented now. So there's so many things that could come into play. And I think you're right. Having the emotional intelligence to, to ask yourself, to question yourself, right? Am I, am I making an assumption that's not correct here? Yes. And as you said, right, give the person the benefit of the doubt. And when you can do that, you know, the next step is then to start asking those questions of yes. yourself and of just really, of, of let's figure out what's going on here. So that's yes. huge. So yes. with this, with this strong belief in servant leadership and an emotional intelligence and how they are linked to retention, and I, I think probably, you know, we could say engagement as well. I think those two go hand in hand. How does yes. this show up in the work that you're doing at Chrysler Miller?
1: Yes, I think that what is um, most important is that it's even just phrasing. To be honest, it, you know, we don't call our the people who work with us employees. Uh, we just don't. I, I banish that word. I don't like it. Uh, I think employees. It's it's it, it creates separation. It, it 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 implies possession. And um, you know, uh, when people will say, "Well, my employee," no, 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 no. They're your teammate. Uh, so we focus on our people. You will always hear me say our people, this, our people that are team members, team members here, team members doing that team members in tax, team members in audit team members here. And I think that what I'm getting at is, it's trying to use our phrases and words intentionally to build a community. And that's what we talk about. So at Kreischer Miller, we talk about, well, we're a community of people who work together to accomplish our goals. Right. Um, And, and, and using that servant leadership model saying if we focus all of our efforts, like literally people are first in, in our company, and even our marketing tagline and our branding, if you look at our logo, you see Chrysler Miller and it says people, ideas, solutions because intentionally when we made that decision to use that as our branding, it, it represents Chrysler Miller. It's people first, and think little ways that we live that value out, or live that perception or model out. Is we uh, we spend an inordinate amount of time and effort and money investing in our people, trying to ensure that they have whatever resources they need. Is it a book? Is it a class? Is it a private coach? Is it an executive coach? Is it a degree? Is it a certification? Whatever our people feel they need in order to perform their jobs, we do that for them. We assign them career counselors. The career counselors' responsibility is to help our people achieve their goals. That is their job right Mm -hmm. um we look at our policies you know things like when someone's going through a life moment which everybody has though we had a perfect example on friday friday of last week so we are a public accounting firm and as you may imagine a large part of our practice is tax returns and the tax deadline is looming um it might be uh, like tomorrow (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so, um, well, actually, they moved it this year because the fifteenth is on a Saturday, so they moved it to next week. But for all intents and purposes, it's right now. It's so on last, day. right. So last Friday was the seventh, and one of our teammates uh, reached out to me on their function center leader and said, "Hey, I just got a call. My grandmother is um, being taken to the emergency room, and you know." I just, I I don't, I don't know what to do because I have all this work to do. The immediate response from the head of the tax department was go do what you need to do. Don't worry about your work. We got it. Unfortunately, several hours later, the employee did respond and say she passed. And, um, but she said, don't worry. I'll log on tomorrow and I'll do all my work. No. So immediately, the, the person in the leadership position said, oh, no, no, we've already reassigned all of your work. It's taken care of. You go and you stay and you do what you need to do for your family and to grieve a loss. Wow. That's emotional wow. intelligence. Yeah. That's servant leadership. That's community, right? So then the rest of the people were like, okay, we got this. Who's taking that one? Who's taking that return? I got this one, Right that's living that out in reality. That's a, that speaks to your culture
0: for sure. And, and it's yeah. all wrapped up in that. So that's amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, she felt she felt that commitment to the team. Don't worry, I'm going to do my part. Yes. And, and then the leader said the commitment to the team. No, don't worry, we've got you. And then her teammates, no worry, we've got you, right? Yeah. And the teammates
0: know that unfortunately, if it's ever them that needs it, They'll get the same type of response from their leader, from their peers. So that's what I said. I mean, it's just created for you this awesome culture of community. I think that is the best way of describing it because in a community, you take care of each other.
1: Absolutely. In a community,
0: you can rely on the people to the right and left of you. And that's what people want. You know, that sense of community, that really, that sense of belonging somewhere Mm -hmm. where people will take care of them.
1: Yes, That's yeah. I mean, another just quick example what we have a wonderful uh, young lady. She's a mom of two small boys, um, two years apart. God bless her. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and she's uh, she's also in our tax team. And she she came and she just said about midway through busy season, she said, "I just can't." I can't do all this. It's too much. I can't be a mom and a wife and a, a really good contributing team member. It's too much. I really think I need to resign. And and she's amazing. And we love her. And I said, whoa, 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 no resign. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Right. What do you need? What do you feel you could be successful? She was very upset and very emotional and saying, basically, she felt she felt as though she was failing as, as, a, as a teammate, she was failing as a wife, and she was failing as a mother. That's a terrible emotional state to be in. And so I said, what would make you feel better? Just dream out loud. Just, just talk to me and just dream out loud. So she described, well, it would be really great if I could work till three o'clock every day be home and be able to um, have time with my my children, make dinner for my husband and, you know, put my children to bed and give them bath time and, um, and be able to do my work, uh, you know, between seven and three. I said, okay, we can do that. She said, what? She said, how, how are you going to do that? I'm like, well, we're just going to do it you're just going to do it. You're going to work seven to three and you're going to be home to do all those things that are important for you. And we also allow people to work from home. I said, and also you can work from home. And she said, Oh no, no, I can't work at home when the boys. are. She said, I I need to leave the house. I'm like, okay, then come here. Like that's whatever is going to work for you. And she just looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she said, I I really thought this was going to be my last day here at Chrysler Miller. And now I know that it's not right. And that You care about me as a person, not as an employee and you have to make this done and you have to do these hours and you have to get this work. No. And now I know, and this person is now like the happiest person in the world. I have a loyalty mate. I have a person who feels that she was heard, that she was valued and she was appreciated and that her life matters, mattered to us she'll
0: come back to you again. If anything changes, she now knows, not only was it heard then, but that's the culture in your organization. And she will be heard again. If something changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, as the commercial goes, that's priceless,
1: (laughs) you know, being able to,
0: it is when you can work somewhere and you have that type of culture, when you know, people really care about you.
1: You just treat a person like a human being. You know, it's like you're a human being. You're not a worker. You're not an employee. You are a human being who has value, and you matter. And at the end of the day, we all just want to matter. We just want to know that we matter. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, like I said, we want to belong. We want to have that sense of belonging. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, so what's next then for you? At, at Chrysler Miller, like knowing how important these things are, is there a project that's on um, the the radar for you uh, on the horizon, whatever you want to call it, that you want to do something that you still, uh, you know, that's still
1: important to you? Well, I would say the two things that are, that are active projects right now that we're working on is, is we are with actually plug for MEA, with the help of MEA, we are um, completely revamping our handbook um, which we purposefully don't call it a uh, policy manual. Uh, you know, we call it our handbook. Um, and, uh, we are purposefully revamping all of it and taking out all of the, what I will call old, old way of thinking of thou shall not type of manual, you know, thou shall not be late. Thou shall not do this. Thou sh- you know, To here's how we do things here. <laughs> And this is our culture. And these are our values. And these are our guidelines. Absolutely, right? There are guidelines. And this is our pay time off policy. And this is how this works, right? Um, Which is important. You have to have, you know, the handbook so that people know how to navigate um, the organization, but really looking at it through a very different lens um, of what I'm going to call servant leadership and emotional intelligence, and so that's a big project that's literally in in the um, process right now. The other um, process that we are revamping is our um, performance evaluation process, um, which. <laughs> yes, um, which I uh, have strong emotions about that as well, and that I am um, um, adamant that annual performance evaluations are horrible and are useless, and so I have banned those. Um, and um, and our people are delighted. There. Because That's for sure. Nobody likes an annual performance evaluation, and there's a lot of negative repercussions. In fact, I've seen very little positive ones come out of annual performance evaluations. So um, so we're moving to a model of ongoing feedback. We have a very simple software system that ha- allows us to give real time, quick, easy and efficient feedback for our people. And then our quarterly, we're now sitting down with them to review all those feedback forms, if you will, that have come in and, and it's goes with our career counseling and our coaching process. So adopting more of an ongoing living development process, I think is going to help us further live our belief in servant leadership and in emo- using emotional intelligence.
0: Yeah, they sound like awesome projects. And I, you know, I love that, you're going there, right? So that because you talked about it earlier, it's about the words that you choose, yes. um, like how you label things, how you label your team members. Um, but you do have to carry that through into everything in order for it to really become, you know, a solid culture for you. Um, yes. You know, so many of our members I know, and I'm sure so many of our listeners here do struggle with that career conversation, with helping, to, um, helping their employees understand where they can go within the organization or just where they can go in general with, you know, w- with where they're at now, what's possible for them. So you've mentioned now twice this career um, counseling or career coaching. Is, are they internal employees that you use to fill this role or how does that work for you?
1: So, but it's both. It's primarily internal mm-hmm. and it's also um, the role of career counselor internally it, that each person is assigned an internal person to be their career counselor. And, um, and so the, the folks, when they become a career counselor, they receive development and training and they um it's also part of their development is to take on the role of a career counselor so it's seen as a, a a very um they're very proud when they have been tapped to say hey would you like to be a career counselor we feel you're ready we feel that you have a lot to contribute and it's a sense of pride that our team members are like yes okay i get to do this right so um they don't always like the forms to be perfectly frank but um but they but they do appreciate that that it's again we Believe in them, and we are saying to them, "We believe in you, and you have something to offer." Um, but in addition, we do we do have an external coach that um, we will um, engage for team members when we feel it will be beneficial and helpful to them, and that could be for various reasons. If someone's struggling, we may have an external or external coach to work with them. Equally, if someone is that high potential up and coming um, and, you know, on the cusp of being promoted to director, which within our context is a very big deal to be moved into that role and to earn that role. And so when we will take someone who's a very um, high performing, high potential manager, we will have them work for a year with the external coach. And um, we found it to be very, very beneficial I'm a proponent of both coaching, internal and having external. I don't think one or the other alone is sufficient, at least in my experience. So just one more detailed question about
0: this around this career counseling. Is it up to the employee to request time to meet with their career counselor? Does the career counselor reach? Like, is it a schedule? Do you have two meetings per year or can the person reach out anytime they want to have a conversation?
1: I love that question. And, um, and we've gone back and forth over the years to refine this. And um, what we've found is that we start with saying, team member, you are the counselee, you lead it. This is for your development. This is for your growth. You are accountable for owning the driving part of this relationship. However, we also supplement and say, career counselors, if you don't hear from your counselee at least once a month for a check-in, you need to be reaching out, right? So we have like that mm, catch-all, <laughs> but we start with career counselee. You're the driver because it's for you, and um and uh, it and it's varying success, right? There are some people who are. Very, very driven, and they are they have a scheduled on their calendars on recurring meeting with their career counselor every third Thursday of the month and such. Then there are others that are a little bit more laid back and are like, Well, whenever I need them, I'll reach out. Um, but we do require at least there's you have to put some requirements on there. Um, we do say to the career counselors, You need to have at least once a quarter a meeting with your counselor, at least once a quarter. We encourage monthly, but also have to be pragmatic. They also have work
0: to do, <laughs> and I think you're. You know, you said it. Right? I I think you've got the oh, right the right balance. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the person being counseled, the counselee can reach out at any time, mm-hmm. um, and the counselor knows that ideally. And I love that you said monthly. I mean, I think that's amazing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. your teammates there have this opportunity to be having these conversations on mm-hmm. a very regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and so that you know, the counselor will reach out monthly, but worst case quarterly. And I think. Um, Sounds like that, you know, is the right recipe here for how to make this work. Um, I also love that you put the emphasis on the, on the, the counselee to really drive and own their own career. And I think that is appropriate. Mm -hmm. I also think some people need help in that area.
1: So, you know, to have them reach out, that's awesome. Yeah, and we we even, that's why we put, last year we put into place and I was very adamant that you have to make it easy or people aren't going to do it, right? So what we did was we found um, a software system that we use for, it's actually our payroll system that we, they have a, an add on, if you will, um, where people can give real-time feedback and the driver of it is the person. So if I want feedback, you know, one of the saddest things that happens as an HR person is when someone comes in and says, I, I don't know how I'm doing. No one gives me any feedback that makes, that breaks my heart. And my response is always, well, did you ask? And they're like, I'm supposed to ask? Absolutely. When I want feedback, I ask, right? So, empowering our team members and giving them a easy, they click a button and they can push a request out to ask someone to answer three questions What did I do really well? What do I need to improve upon? And what suggestions and how can I do that, right? The what, the what, and the how. you got to tell them the how, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because as I always say, if they knew how, they would have done it. <laughs> More than
0: likely. Absolutely. Oh, That's great. Um, are you finding adoption of this
1: software? I mean, are people yeah. using it? Yes. And they are loving it. They're like, you're right. It was so easy. I was, It wasn't this long, onerous form with 62, sometimes, always, never, check this right. box. So if by the time you read the question, you're like, what was the question? I don't even know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm all about simple. If it's simple and relevant, it's going to get done. And timely. Which, when it can be that quick, yes, it can yes. be timely. So that's yes. Good. Yes. Yeah. yes. Because I want to know in February that I'm messing something up and I can do it better. Don't tell me in December. That's not so helpful. I'm going to then. Do is be upset with you. I'm going to say, you waited till December to tell me that I could have done this better in February. Like that's, that's not respect in my mm. opinion, you know? Yeah, okay. And if I respect you, I'm going to say, Hey, you know what, Margaret, can I give you some coaching? Here's something that I think you may want to look at.
0: Right. Kindness. Well, yeah. Kindness. It's, it's back to your servant leadership. If you really um, yes. want your team members to do better, if you really care about them as professionals, as people, then giving them this feedback is the right thing to do and to do it in a timely way because that's what's going to help them. That's going to, that is what will help them improve. And it also lets them know that you care enough to take this time, to one, have observed their behavior and then to take the time to give the feedback. Yes. This has been an awesome conversation, Mary Ellen. And I have just one last question for you. And I I love to ask this one of all of my uh, guests. And that is with somebody um, with your background, right? Your years of experience is there something that you've changed your mind about? Something that you used to think at the beginning and now not so much anymore?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of things. Um i think <laughs> Are you, like, just <laughs> Just one. Just one. I think that the, the most, uh, the, the first thing that popped to my mind when you asked me that question was I've absolutely changed my mind. I no longer am a, a proponent of discipline in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we put little pretty words on it in HR, right? We say progressive discipline or, um, you know, uh, we performance improvement, performance improvement yeah. plans. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, that's what I've definitely changed my mind about. We don't do performance improvement plans. We don't talk about discipline or progressive discipline because we espouse this coaching and ongoing coaching. We're giving people feedback along the way. We absolutely, I had a conversation. Was it thirst? Wednesday of this week, um, with a teammate who is, he's in the wrong role. He's in the wrong role and he knows it. And he came to me and he said, I'm, I'm not doing well. So, okay, let's, let's talk. Let's now shift this conversation to what are you good at? What brings you joy? Where do you enjoy spending your time? So, um, we, when we do have to put something in writing, which is HR, sometimes we do, we create pathways to success. We create a written document co-authored with the teammate and their career counselor and their leader of their function center to say, here's the pathway to success. These are the elements that are going to help you be successful. And then we put it again. It's in their hands. They're empowered and they're accountable. I always say people can't hit targets that they can't see. So the pathway to success is defining that. So that's definitely something that I've changed my mind on. As an HR professional in in the '90s, it was discipline three times, and then you write them up for this. It's a verbal. It's a written. It's a no. <laughs>
0: Pathways to success, right? That's great, and it's it's in keeping with everything you've said so far. It's is labels matter? Words matter. How yes. we call things, what we say, really matters, and it's it. Um, Creates a, a feeling within the person receiving it, right? So, Pathways to Success does feel so much better. And, yes. And here's your pip.
1: <laughs> yes. So,
0: that's great. Well, yes. Mary Ellen, this has been amazing. I um, really, as I said at the very beginning, I was so looking forward to having this conversation with you. It's been a true pleasure, a great way for me to start my Friday, start my weekend. And I think our listeners are really going to get a lot of, um, learn a lot of great tidbits from this conversation.
1: So, thank you for your time. Well, thank you. It's been a joy. I'm honored that I was able to be a guest. Thank you. You are welcome.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you got
1: a ton of value out of this episode.
0: Before we go, we want to thank the sponsor of our show, the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association, more commonly referred to as MEA. MEA provides human resources services to hundreds of businesses across numerous industries every day, bridging gaps that restrain innovation and growth.
1: If you need support around people issues, reach out to MEAinfo.org. Better people, better outcomes.